Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and this is the Spooky SLV Podcast, and I'll be your host, Brad Hicks. Let's get started. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I'll go three stories for you tonight. The first one is from a friend of mine who chooses to remain anonymous via pen name, and his pen name is Kiko Yankovic. Yeah, I'm still giggling, too. Here we go. One night around 2003, I was visiting my family for, at that time, I had briefly moved away, and I was sleeping in my old room at my parents' house where a lot of weird things happened to me. This particular night, I was asleep when all of a sudden my dream was interrupted and I was immediately in another dimension. Where at the side of my bed, I saw two fat female humanoids, both wearing leather meat cutter aprons with what appeared to be axle grease on their faces. They proceeded to open me up from sternum to my navel and peeled the skin open. They were looking at my organs and talking about talking, but now I can't remember what they said. I remember them closing me up, and before they left, they put something in my right eye. Fast forward a few weeks, and I'm back where I was, then living, and went to an eye doctor appointment. At one point, the optometrist says, hmm, interesting. He says that a couple more times, and then tells me I have what appears to be a freckle in the back of my right eye, and he's never seen something like that but it's totally harmless. He also said it was never mentioned in my records before that. All I could think was that when I was back at my parents' house visiting, that one of those humanoids put an alien implant in my eye. Weird thing is, every once in a while, I will see a rainbow of colors emanating from that eye, as if it's a signal of some sort, and after a few hours, minutes or hours, it goes away. That's an interesting story. I never would have thought, my rational mind would have put that as, uh, okay, I've got something wrong with my eye or, you know, I'm having a stroke, <laughs> one of the two. But, uh, no, good story. I like that one. Okay, second story is a rather long one. It's five pages that i got to read here. Uh, sent to me by Pete M. Mitchell. He starts out this way. Hello, Brad. I am a man who lives in the SLV and has all my life. I have recently heard about your podcast from a family friend, and I wish nothing but the best for you and the success of it. Having heard about this podcast, it has inspired me to write my own experiences so that you and your listeners may enjoy it and hopefully be spooked by what still haunts my mind to this day. Now on to the story. Living in the San Luis Valley, you can either know every square foot of the floor and mountains and what happens there, or you know your neighbors and the friends you made in high school. For me... I had a father that loved the outdoors and was what is now regarded as the classic mountain man. So I traveled every bit of this valley before the age of 20, and I know every town, road, trail, and mountain by heart. As a child, my father would take me and my brother on every hunting trip he went on, punching his tags in both archery and rifle season. Naturally, I fell in love with all of it, my favorite being archery hunting. The skill and silence needed to hunt archery encapsulated middle school me, and I lived for early fall in southern Colorado. Going into my junior year at Sanford High School, me and my brother Nick, who was going to be a freshman, were getting more and more excited about August the longer the summer went on. Practicing our shooting in the backyard and arguing about who was going to get the bigger bull was our daily routine once pioneer days were over. Getting ready for the school year also meant football practice the week before the first day of school. Me and my brother could hardly juggle two-a-days with practicing and prepping for our weekend of hunting. But after what felt like a whole month of waiting in a week for that last weekend before school, 
the archery season finally came. At this time, my father was dealing with some work injuries and cannot go hunting with us for the first time ever. As bummed as Nick and I were, we were still excited to go along, and we felt very mature and manly for our age. We had gotten tags for the area that is about a mile north of Lahara Reservoir, and while we knew where it was and the area around it, we hadn't gone there much before. So land familiarity was not as acute as the eastern mountains we had hunted most. It had taken us a couple hours to get there, to get to where we wanted to be from our house, and just like our father's father always liked, we made sure we were almost entirely secluded. No roads, no signs, just us, trees, and some elk. Or that's what we thought. After staying the first night and waking up early and eager, we set off to, on our first walk of the weekend. Camels on and bows in hand. After walking for a few hours and not hearing, any, hearing or seeing anything at all, our spirits were rather low. I was approaching noon and hadn't even had breakfast, so we were starving. We cut our losses and started back the way we came. Our first mistake was not marking anything while we walked. But like I said, I knew this valley like the back of my hand and started leading my brother back to camp. About halfway back, we run into an antler shed. Sweet. Then we found an elk skull just a few feet from it. And boy, were we excited. But after a quick inspection, we noticed that it was still pretty fresh. So fresh, there was still brain in the skull. We looked at each other, uneasy, but not skeptical. Whatever, we thought, and stuffed it in my bag, and we started making our way back to camp. The sun was setting when we stepped foot back to camp, and we were glad to find that nothing was out of the ordinary and no bears had stopped by for a snack. I start our evening fire, and Nick is beginning, begging to see the skull we picked up. So I pull it out quickly and hand it to him so we could, so he would shut up. <laughs> I look back at him, and the smile he had before I gave him the skull was now a concerned frown. Pete, he says with a shaky whisper, look. Confused, I take the skull and take a look at it. Inside, where the leftover brain was, now held a human finger just as fresh as the skull. Freaked out, I throw the finger as hard as I can into the darkness and sat in silence with Nick. Our frozen gazes stuck on the red and orange flames for over half an hour. Not a word was said. We didn't want to know how or why that finger was in the skull. So being the teenage boys we were, we suddenly agreed not to worry about it and focus on the morning hunt. We got ready for bed and bid farewell to an unsuccessful but interesting first day. Next morning, Nick, Nick and I wake up early and eager again, seemingly unfazed by what we found the night before. Again, we trot off for the hunt, steady eyes and open ears along almost the exact same route we took the day before. This time we had brought some PB&J sandwiches with us and some other light snacks to ease our hunger so we could walk a little longer before heading back to camp. We had gotten near the area where we found the antlers and skull when we decided to sit down and eat our sandwiches and snack up. With my last bite of my sandwich and seemingly Nick's as well, I noticed something just to the right, uh, just on my right on the fallen tree we sat. A bloody handprint. I immediately show Nick and he looks up and starts walking away slowly from the trees, tree towards what we would now disclose to me. He would not disclose to me. Nick. No answer. He keeps walking. Nick. I say in a stern voice. He stops. Nick. I'm interrupted by Nick vomiting up the sandwich he had just finished moments ago. Nick, what the hell is going on on? What the hell is going on with you today? I asked him, concerned and admittedly afraid. Dude, look. Terror fills his voice and I notice tears welling up in his eyes. Holy shit, 
I mutter, witnessing the horror hanging from the tree directly above us. An arm. What must have been the rest of the finger we found was dangling from whatever other human viscera was tangled up in the branch just ten feet above our heads. Struggling to hold on to my lunch as well, I grabbed Nick and turned him away from the terrible scene he had already taken in. Hiding the fear in my voice, I tell him, Listen, we gotta get out of here. We gotta tell police, we gotta get the police out here, and we gotta get this figured out. But right now, we are leaving. Uh, okay. He barely gets out of his mouth. I had gotten, it had gotten too dark yet, hadn't gotten too dark yet, so we still had enough light to see as far as we needed to see. About halfway back, we hear the hunter's favorite sound an elk bugle right next to us. Instinct kicks in, and we crouch onto one knee each. We check our immediate surroundings. Something's still driving us to get our tags punched. Nick taps my shoulder and points to our right. There, he mouths silently. We see movement, but can't make out what it is. Inching closer, we see the top of a set of antlers. In silence, we watch as we wait to see how big the bull is, feeling impatient to run away, yet eager to see the elk. The right side of the antlers poke out further little by little. I start counting the points in my head. Two, four, six. Eight, ten? There's more than I try to count, but as I see more of the horn, the messier it gets. Nick looks back at me and holds his hands, hold out his hands gesturing while we mouth, this thing is a monster. He had never been more right. That's when a hand comes around the tree the antlers were hiding behind. A hand from the elk? The antlers rise and rise and keep rising. We can't look away. The head finally peers around the tree. I grab Nick and bring him to the ground slowly. As we stare through tall grass and bush, terrified at this elk that had seemingly grown ten feet taller, I noticed them. The eyes. There weren't any. Dark, shadowed holes with no soul fill the space where an elk's brown and white eyes should have been. A branch behind this creature of hell is broken behind it, and at lightning speed its focus is gained by the unlucky critter that had moved. Letting out a guttural, heavy bugle mixed with the yell of a damned soul, it lurches away and I see the body. A man's body with none of the features God meant for me, for man to have. Its long, skinny arms and legs slowly but quickly covered the forest floor, and it was gone. Nick and I lay there, waiting without a single word or even breath let out for what I felt like ages. We knew what we had to do, and we finally left like, left like we should have done hours ago. We get back to camp and pack. Still nothing said to each other. With everything loaded quickly and quietly getting into my truck, we get back to the road leading to Capuline. The sun had set and we were driving with no ra- no radio. Still not talking. Just both lost in our own heads trying to figure out, trying to comprehend what we had seen. Finally, we hit Valley Floor, breaking the silence, but not breaking his wide eyes, wide-eyed gaze down the road. Nick quietly asks, Pete, what was that thing? My heartbeat picks up the pace, but I try to keep a poker face. Nick, I don't know. I respond how I thought was calmly. Pete, what was that thing? Nick asks a little louder. I don't know, Nick. I respond, matching his tone. Tears are now falling down his face, and I swear I hear his heart pounding as hard as mine. Pete, what was that thing? He cries, finally bursting into a horrified fit. Nick, I don't know, okay? I yell over him. He looked away and quietly finishes his sobbing as we had gotten to Lahara. We get back into Sanford in silence and unpack my truck. 
My father and mother greet us. You're back early, boys. How was it? Our mother asked. We share a look, knowing what had happened and what the other was thinking. Good, we reply. Where's the bull, our father questions. We didn't see anything, I replied, giving a look to Nick. Nick looked back at me and back at Dad. Yeah, we didn't see a thing. Yeah, that's an interesting one. That almost reminds me of uh, Wendigo. Of of some of the classic stories I've heard about Wendigo. That's what that's what I that's what I pictured. The antlers, the long arms, stuff like that. That's 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 a good one. Thanks, Pete. I appreciate that one. Okay, our third and final story comes to us again from Glenna Price. I'm quickly becoming a big fan of Glenna's writing. <laughs> no, like I said before, I've known her for years, and she's a fantastic woman. And she she, she writes some kind of odd stuff. <laughs> this one is, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say spooky. It's going to be hard to read. And it definitely fits in a weird category, like weird fiction. It's, yeah, I, you're just going to have to listen. It's a good one. Here we go. The mound from above. Entering my dusty, gusty, crusty living abode, I think I may, I think I might, have found a mound around my hound, dog. His look by the book shook the crook whose jello was yellow and mellow, a right jolly good fellow. These two moaned, groaned, and were blown, out of their itty-bitty, teeny-tiny, ever-shrinking minds. They reeled and wheeled and peeled and kneeled over and under and around and through their fright, sight, delight, and might. Oh, my, what a sight. I paused, caused, and exhausted all my thoughts, watts, dots, and shots. What occurred, what was heard, what mixture, mixture stirred, to assemble, preamble, de detangle, and manhandle the mound around my hound, dog, that I found. The smell, the odor, the pungent aroma, the nostril-assaulting vapor was unbearable, unbreathable, unapproachable, neither to be inhaled, ingested, entwined, nor consumed. Perhaps by chance, by error, by mistake, someone or something or somewhat gave a stride to my dusty, gusty, crusty living abode, to seek a hiding, jiving, deciding, colliding atmosphere in which to attract, extract, contract, or react, tivate, a dream, a scheme, a stream of thought. My mind entered, centered, cantered, vaulted, jostled about and around the why and the what and the who and the how. I am keenly, seemly, and strongly aware of the where, of the occurrence, the happening, the event, the disorder. From nowhere, the racing, lacing, tearing, daring, jarring, jarring, stream of light, laser of luminosity, beam of destruction descended upon this poor, weak, spineless, withering, quivering mass of a body that is mine. All around, all about, everywhere and anywhere, the circles, arcs, and curves are brighter, wider, blinding, and blazing. As I hunker down, hugging the floor and wishing myself to disappear, a crimson glow, the color of blood, drapes, Falls and circles and surrounds my breathless, flattened, squirming, squirming sack of flesh. The crimson curtain begins to retreat, 
to fade, dissolve my dusty, gusty, crusty living abode returns to my gaze. When what to my wondering eyes should appear but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. With a little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in an instant it must be St. Nick. As the hero, the champion of kids everywhere, the man in red wings and grinned in my sweaty face, my ragged breathing, and my wet pants, he laughed and petted Rudolph's nose. It blinked on and off like a neon sign at a diner. I'm terribly sorry to have caused such a ruckus, but Blitzen just couldn't pinch, squeeze, or hold it any longer. As I was putting my finger alongside my nose, down the chimney came the total discharge, the stench of the secretion, the complete evacuation of his bowels. The chili dogs, the leftover guacamole, the greasy spare ribs, and the sour cream enchiladas all ex exited onto your linoleum-covered floor. Then, bounding, leaping, and swinging into his sleigh, he turned, smiled, and exclaimed, Oh, and by the way, just so you are aware, your name is, always has been, on my naughty list. With the crimson glow of Rudolph's nose and its laser-bright luminosity, he ascended up into the clear and cold starry night. Looking about, I saw my chimney and my new shiny scoop shovel. A gray gas mask and goggles like bug's eyes and an aerosol can of spine of pine-scented air freshener. Wish me luck. <laughs> That's one of the most bizarre and fun stories I've ever read. I, when I was first reading it, she emailed it to me. I did not see the whole Santa Claus, St. Nick thing coming up. Didn't see it at all. That one just blew my mind. That was awesome. Thanks again, Glenna. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for this evening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. We are, This is now episode 12, so we're getting up there. Um, I'm going to tell you again about the uh, sponsorship. <laughs> like Patreon, on Spotify, on my uh, podcast homepage, there's a link that'll take you to a support page where you can give your support if you like. Um, you can pay monthly or you can pay one time, whichever you prefer. There's three different tiers. There is the uh, 99 cent tier, the 4.99 tier, and the 9.99 tier. Now, here soon, depending on the tier, many of you who listen and know me know me also as an artist. So I may be doing some illustrations from some of the stories that we've done. And figure... You know, if you go up to the four ninety nine tier, paying every month, you know, you're helping us out, which is great. You're going to help me get new equipment and everything like that. But you're also going to be in the running every month for a uh, um, an original, either an original drawing for the nine ninety nine tiers, or a print of one of the illustrations. For the 4.99 tiers, the 99 cent tiers, I'll give you a great big thank you. <laughs> That's about the best I can do on that one. Um, but, you know, we can probably work something like that out. I haven't decided exactly what we're doing, but we may end up doing something like that. So uh, tonight I want to thank also Andreas, because Andreas uh, Herrera, who is on Instagram at Entropy and Motion Music. And... Uh, also he runs the decibels deep podcast on Spotify. It's a music review. If you're, uh, if you like music or metal, he's kind of a metalhead. He's a great musician. Um, 
the podcast is great. I actually like it. I'm and I'm I'm not one for review podcasts. I like there to be a story behind it, Andreas. Come on. But anyway, he's the one who does the intro music for me. He wrote that and let me graciously use it. And I'm gonna pitch his stuff every chance I can for that. But thanks again for listening. And I hope you all have a great night. And I really, really hope to see some of you as supporters. And if you can't support, share the podcast. Get some more people interested in it. Maybe we can find more people to listen. The more people to listen, the more money I make from sponsored ads. Okay, guys. Y'all have a good evening. Thanks.